See if we can make this pop too. So far, so good. All right, great. How you doing today? Are you awake yet? <laughs> well, it's good to see y'all today. It's good again to be in the house of the Lord. I want to welcome you. If you're visiting here with us, we're so grateful that you're here. If you haven't already, uh, make sure you fill out a visitor's card. Hopefully there's one in the pew there by you. But if not, if you look in your bulletin, there's a little QR code. And if you'll take your camera out and take a picture of that QR code, it will bring up. See, some of you are already doing it. You're like, ah, that ain't working. It really does work. And it will take you to a spot where you can fill out a visitor card online. And if you don't want if, you, if your writing's not very good, this is a great way to make sure that we get your information. So if you'll do that, we sure would appreciate it. Uh, just a few announcements. First of all, on behalf of the youth, uh, that they want to thank the church family for their generosity and support. Uh, $1,605 was raised last Sunday at their spaghetti fundraiser. And as we've already said, the money will help pay costs related to our upcoming youth retreat. And that's going to start next Sunday. And please continue to pray that God will move in the youth uh, during the retreat for, for his good, for their good and for his glory. Um, I think that's all the announcements we have at this point. Does anyone have any other announcements that need to be made at this time? Just nothing going on, huh? Okay. All right. Well, for our uh, call to worship this morning, I want to read to you from the first chapter of John. I want to read verses 1 through 12. And I'll stop right there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And finally, in verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you have been born again today, if you have received him, Jesus, through belief, you, you are a child of God. And in 1 John, he says, how great a love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God, and we are. That's something to, to praise. But if you have not given your life to Christ, if you have not believed in the name, this is still true. All who did receive him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That invitation is for you today. So as we sing about this glorious Lord, I pray that His Spirit moves in your heart that you might see your need for Him. 
But if you've already found him, then we've got lots to sing about this morning. So let's stand and worship together.
be seated. Children, come forward for the children's service. Good morning. Wow, singing about heaven makes me happy. Those are happy songs, aren't they? You know what else makes me happy? Let me see what I've got in my pocket here. Got to get it out. You know what else makes me happy? Bubbles. Y'all like bubbles? Yes. <laughs> what is it about bubbles? that make people so happy, even grown-ups. I've, I've seen some of you grown-ups out there laughing and being happy, chasing bubbles. But you know what? Have you noticed that as soon as you touch a bubble, it pops? Or if you run after it trying to catch it, you might not catch it. And if it touches the ground, what happens? It pops. It pops. Hmm? Sometimes in your house it doesn't pop and it stays in your That's right. But eventually it pops, right? Well, what I've noticed is that a lot of times people chase after happiness just like we chase after bubbles. We think... It makes, it makes us happy for a little bit, but then it pops. Some of the things that people chase after thinking that it's going to make them happy, let's see, money. We chase after money thinking money is going to make us happy, but either we get it and we spend it or we get it and we stick it in the bank and just hoard it and it, it doesn't really make us happy. Um, sometimes we think food is going to make us happy. Yeah. So we eat food uh, because we're sad or depressed, and then we're just fat, and we're still <laughs> sad and depressed. Right? Yeah. Or entertainment. Sometimes we just think if we can laugh and watch something funny, on TV or the movies that it's going to make us happy, but some of the people that are laughing on the outside are crying on the inside. Um, there are lots of things that we, uh, we chase after that we think are going to make us happy. Uh, we think if everybody loves us, if we're really popular, that we're going to be happy. <laughs> but that, that doesn't make us happy either because people are fickle and we can be popular today and not popular tomorrow. The, the thing that I have found in the Bible is that Jesus told his disciples sometimes it's the poor people that are happy. He said, blessed are the poor for they will inherit the kingdom of God. And blessed are they who are hungry for God, who hunger and thirst after righteousness, um, because they will see God. And uh, 
So the things that we chase after to make us happy um, don't satis satisfy us in this life. It's only God. We need to look to God for our true joy and happiness. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you are the supplier <clears throat> of every need, that you are the source of our joy, and that when we chase after you, you're not going to pop like a bubble. You will give us lasting joy and happiness. And Father, we thank you for that in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, the giver of our joy. Amen. Thank you.
Let's stand together. This is our song of the month that we're doing. And this morning we talked about the fact that we'll fly away to a place that is beyond our imagination. God, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who is fairer than anything. This fit perfect with the children's sermon. That everything else we chase after just pops like bubbles in front of us. But Jesus is fairer than all of it. All of it. So let's sing this song together.
is our God. How great. in the time of trouble. You're the anchor in the storm. God, and even when I do not deserve your love and your grace, you are faithful because you cannot deny yourself. And God, we need you this morning to overwhelm us with the truth of who you are. And we need you to overwhelm us with the truth of who we are. So that we see our need for you. Change our hearts today, God. Cover us in the blood of the cross. And be glorified in us. Speak your word through Shannon this morning. We beg of you, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, alone we pray. you would please take your copy of God's Word. Turn to the book of Genesis. If you're not familiar with your Bible, today's your lucky day. Uh, you only have to turn a few pages into the Bible to find Genesis. We'll be in Genesis chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you should find a hardback black one somewhere around you. You'll turn to page 4 in the front of the Bible. You will find uh, John. I'll get it out in a minute. Genesis chapter 6. We have been in a series for some time called Getting Lost. The title of this morning's sermon is How God Feels About Sinners. Um, this sermon series, Getting Lost, of course, I've said this, I think, every time, so you probably know what I'm about to say. When we talk about lost, we're talking about spiritually lost. We're not talking about someone who does not know where they are. Um, I have a, a relative, and I think I've shared this, that he and my dad will want to go and, and, and uh, meet somewhere and go and visit family. And he'll call my dad and he'll say, I don't, know, I don't know where I am. He's lost. But we're not talking about that kind of loss. We're talking about spiritually lost. And the reason that we're taking so much time with this, um, one, we want to set a glorious background for the series that comes next, which is going to be about the gospel itself. Um, but then also, we need to understand better how to pray. I mean, just realize how much God has in Christ done to transfer us from the domain of darkness to the domain of His wonderful Son. How we've been moved from darkness into light. How much God had to do. And the more that we study this, the more that we realize that there is a miracle of justification performed on the part of God through Christ. So this is not, this is good for us. I'll tell you one other thing that I think it's crucial for us to get from this series. We are going to be better equipped, I believe, in the day in which we live to talk to people about what it means to be lost. That's crucial. Because there's so many people who think that because um, they have 
grown up in the church that they are Christians or because they are from America, they can claim some sort of Christian heritage. And we need to be really well equipped to speak about lostness in our day. So hopefully you've navigated your way to Genesis chapter 6. So if you would please stand. This morning I'm going to use some select verses from Genesis chapter 6. So um, I will start actually with verse 5. And I'll let you know where we're going next, but I'm going to use some select verses from Genesis chapter 6, starting with verse 5. And the Lord saw, I'm sorry, um, I skipped there. And the Lord saw the wickedness, that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and for all, the, all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now in 6.17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, and which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. 7.4. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. Now in verse 10. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were opened. And now verse 10. And rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. The flood continued for 40 days. We're in verse 17 now. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore upon the earth, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits deep. And all flesh that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind... Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Let's pray together. Father, we are indeed always in need of reminder of your feeling about sin. Sometimes we can get so complacent that we forget um, the great price that you paid for us in Christ to bring us from death to life. We see here in these texts, these verses in Genesis 6 and 7, some things that perhaps might make some folks uncomfortable because it displays the side of you accurately, truly, uh, who you really are in your character. So help us as we Listen to your word. Let it form us in the image of Christ. Lord, if there are any here that Jesus is not yet their Savior, I pray today would be the day when they repent of their sins, put their faith and trust in him, 
and receive new life. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, We have been talking about how being lost means you're guilty of Adam's sin. When Adam sinned in the garden, we also sinned. Therefore, we're under his guilt and under his punishment. So death, that's why every person dies. It also means that people, are, when they are born into the world, they're spiritually dead. And they're filled with what we could call radical moral corruption. And that leads them to be unwilling to know God, to seek God, to love God, obey God. Furthermore, they're not just unwilling to know God. They are unfriendly and hostile toward God. Therefore, they are unable to know God, seek God, love God, and obey God. And last week we talked about how part of the inability is not is, stems from personal choice. People being unable, unfriendly, and unwilling toward God. But then also we talked last week about how Satan binds lost people and blinds them to the truth. Now as we have progressed through this sermon series, we have really looked at scriptural truths from the perspective of humanity. I hope you understand that. It explains the story of us, how things started, how things spread, how deep it went. It's from the the perspective of humanity. But today, we're going to look at sin and lostness from God's perspective. And the aim of this morning's sermon is to let God speak God's words through God's word. You'll hear God's own words this morning. Now, just to set a little bit of perspective here. Again, we're only six chapters, seven chapters into the Bible. So we've been through creation. We've been through fall. Uh, and, and now we're to the point where God is sorry he has made humankind. And now he's going to destroy them. He's going to blot them out from the earth. Now, as you heard during the prayer, there are some folks that this type of talk about God makes them very uncomfortable. In fact, in the early days of the Christian church, there was a man named Marcion who was declared a heretic. And he believed that the God of the Old Testament, that angry, wrathful God, he was just a mean old codger and not really the one true God. But Jesus, when he came, he showed us what the one true God is really like. Well, he was condemned as a heretic. That's 100% Wrong. God says, I, the Lord, do not change. I'm not, a, I'm not like a man that I should change. One thing that we also will need to do to keep all this in perspective, as I've already tried to do, is to consider how God feels about sinners from the perspective of Eden. To think about why God created. What was lost in the fall and how it made God feel. There'll be four things, four points that I talk about today. And just full disclosure, um, I've been using a resource by Paul Washer that's it's been kind of been a jumping off point, but I promise you, I, I, I gather milk from a number of places, but I make my own butter. Uh, but, but these four points today, these four words I took from him, and I think that they fit perfectly in describing how God feels about sinners. The first thing God feels is grief. First thing God feels is grief. And again, we need to consider... How God feels here when it says God feels grief, we need to consider it from the perspective of Eden. I've heard it said before that the reason that God created humanity was because he needed someone to love or because he was lonely. And I hope you know the Bible does not teach that. That is not true. God is in himself 
fully self-sufficient. The technical word is aseity. God has aseity. He does not need anything else. He is a, has existed eternally as love. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in that inter-Trinitarian relationship, you can characterize it as love. So God was not lonely. He did not need something. As, he didn't need a little puppy dog to make him happy or to bring him comfort when he got lonely. God has no need. <clears throat> he didn't need to create the world or humanity. He's sufficient in and of Himself, But God created for His glory alone. His own glory alone. In fact, God feels the glory from His own creation. When He looked at it day after day and said, that's good. God felt the glory from what He had created. And on day six, when He said about Adam and Eve, that's very good. So you can see here. When God created for His own glory, He created what brought Him satisfaction and delight. And what He created was not lacking one good thing. God created mankind also for Himself. Why do we exist? We exist to bring glory to God and to enjoy God Forever. So we see already here, we exist to bring God glory. So God created for His glory, we exist for His glory. God created mankind for Himself that we might enjoy Him. So this is why we exist. So can you get a sense of understanding why God would feel grief? That the people that he created for his glory pursued glory somewhere else. And the people that he created for himself did not want to be with him. Can you understand that grief? Look again in chapter 6, verse 6. It says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. To his heart. A deep sense of grief. <clears throat> and the reason that there's this deep sense of grief is because mankind chose to live for himself. God created us for his glory, for himself, and we chose to live for ourselves. And so God is experiencing here the loss of relationship. I'm going to let you in. I don't know why here recently I've had some of the weirdest dreams, but I had a dream that Stephanie and I were splitting up. I don't know what I did, but she thought she had found a better man. And in that dream, I put my hands on my knees and I heaved, just crying, sobbed. Crying. I felt this extreme grief. And that's weird because it's just a dream. But I recall feeling that and going. And, and even when I told her about it, I started to cry a little bit. That's just a glimpse of what God feels when the people he created for his own glory and to be with him choose to live for themselves. God feels grief. This is not just in Genesis. We find this in other sections of Scripture. Look in Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 9. Ezekiel writes, and this is God's words. 
Then those of you who will escape will remember me among the nations where they are carried captive. How I have been broken over their whoring heart that has departed from me. And over their eyes that go whoring after idols. And they will be loathsome in their own sight for the evils they have committed. For all their abomination. But this is also in the New Testament as well. Where in Ephesians 4.30. God speaking through Paul says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. God feels grief. But God also feels hatred. Squirming in your seat just a little bit. I mean, we hear over and over, God is love. Absolutely true. First John, God is love. But God, because He loves, and because He loves so strongly, He must hate. This will become more clear in just a moment. God hates sin. God hates sin. Now, I want you to look at how different places in the Bible describe God's hatred for sin. Look in Leviticus 20, verse 23. Moreover, you shall not follow the customs of the nations which I will drive out before you. For they did all these things, and therefore I have abhorred them. God abhors sin. His hatred, we could say it a different way. It's abhorrence. Deuteronomy 18, 12. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. God hates sin. He detests it. Deuteronomy 25, 16. For all who do such things, all who act dishonestly, are an abomination to the Lord your God. God looks at sin and He considers it to be an abomination. Psalm 95, 10. For 40 years I loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways when God looks at sin it it causes him to loathe see God feels hate God hates sin but are you sitting down God not only hates sin but he hates sinners did you know this I'm I'm not making this up out of thin air in fact look here Psalm 11 verse 7 Now, you might think, well, this talks about righteousness. Just a minute. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold His face. This is the basis for the Lord's hatred. Because He loves things that conform to His image. He is righteous and just and true. And so God loves righteous people and righteous deeds. Therefore, Psalm 5.5, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. Have you read that scripture before? Is this your first time hearing that? David saying, you, God, hate all evildoers. Well, it's just not just this one spot. Psalm 11, 5, the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. His soul, his heart grieves, his soul hates sin. You see, we have to go back and think about Eden again and God's original purpose because God created the world and Adam in righteousness. Obviously, yes, God loved Adam. But because Adam chose sin, therefore becoming a sinner, God's attitude toward Adam changed from love to hate. How do you feel about that? 
I think we get a little uncomfortable talking about this, but this is true from Scripture. So God feels grief, God feels hatred, but God also feels enmity. Enmity ought to make us think about Genesis chapter 3, where God, when He curses the serpent for what has happened in the garden, He tells the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. Enmity simply means the feeling one has toward an enemy. God feels enmity toward his enemies. You might think God has no enemies. Yes, he does. Even his own people became God's enemies. Look at Isaiah 63.10. It says, But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. God's enmity, when he feels it, it says it turned to be his enemy, turned to be their enemy here. God begins to show that he is a God of vengeance. Look again in Nahum chapter 1, verse 2. I've highlighted some words there so we don't lose them on the screen. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 10. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. That's what we love to light on. That right there. And we should because there's such great hope and truth here. But because this is who God is, there has to be a flip side. And he repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. I want to tell you something. You want God to hate sin and sinners. I'll tell you why. Because if he doesn't, what do we have to look forward to in heaven? I mean, if sinners can be there, if God's just going to allow anybody in, there must be a hatred of sin. That way we can know that God really paid an extraordinary price for us when He redeemed us from our sin, from our lostness. When God feels enmity, and as He pursues vengeance on His enemies and repays them to their face, what He's searching for is a word I've highlighted there on the screen. It's the word relief. Isaiah 124, Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. In other words, God's going to pursue his enemies until his enemies are no more. Back in Eden, Adam was God's friend. And because Adam chose sin, Adam became God's enemy. What is God's attitude toward his enemy? It's war. It's war. And God will get relief from his enemies. He will pursue them until he puts them under his feet in defeat. So God feels grief. He feels anger. He feels enmity. And finally... God feels wrath. Back in your Bible, chapter 6, verse 7. You probably thought I lost the text. But chapter 6, verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. 
for I am sorry that I have made them. Now down to verse 13. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Verse 17. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Chapter 7, verse 4. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And finally, verse 23. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. God is displaying here his wrath. How could we describe God's wrath? It's righteous indignation and anger. Righteous indignation. When God feels anger and wrath, it's not because he's having a temper tantrum. God is a righteous and holy God. He hates sin and he hates sinners. And he is going to stamp out sin. Back to Nahum chapter 1 verses 2 through 11. I'm going to read this whole thing. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are in the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. For they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble, fully dried. From you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Now these are hard words to read in Scripture. But we must understand how God feels about sinners. And here we understand that because Adam was created righteous. He really was considered just in the eyes of God. But because he chose sin, Adam was no longer just. He was now unjust and and deserving of the judgment of God's wrath. And just as Nahum describes, God will bring recompense on all of his enemies. How does God feel about sinners? God feels grief. God feels anger. Um, Hatred. God feels Uh, Enmity and God feels wrath. I want to put a verse back on the screen here. From Nahum chapter 1 verse 6. I've highlighted one word. appears two times. It's the word who. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? 
His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. Now what is the implication when Nahum asks this question? Who can stand before his indignation? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. Who can endure the heat of his anger? The answer is no one. All we have to do is look back to Genesis chapter 7. It says, He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, and they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Who can stand before his indignation? No one. No one can stand before the indignation of God. And if no one can, then there's no hope for sinful man. Now, if you have never repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, then you're a sinner. You're lost. I'm I'm not trying to be mean. That's just what the Bible says about you. The Bible is God's Word. So these aren't my words. These are God's words. So friend, if that's you... Listen very carefully to me. The only thing keeping you from experiencing the truth of this morning's text, all these verses, the only thing keeping you from experiencing what is depicted in these verses is the sovereign pleasure of Almighty God. God and His grace is keeping His wrath and His anger and His punishment, His enmity back from you. So if He on this very day required your life of you, understand this, you would die in your sin and there would be no one and nothing standing between you and God. You alone would bear the punishment for your sin. You would be the enemy of God. You would be hated and the recipient of His righteous wrath. Are you waiting on a but? I have a but. But since you are still here, there is hope for you. God did not leave sinful man without hope. One man did stand before God's indignation. His name is Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, fully human and fully God. And as He hung on the cross of Calvary, Jesus endured the heat of God's anger as God poured out His wrath like fire and the earth trembled under God's righteous fury. But Jesus didn't suffer God's anger and wrath for His own sin. You see, Jesus was sinless. Well, that raises the question, then, why did he die? If he had no sin of his own to die for, why did he die? He died because, as Isaiah said, God laid on him the iniquity of us all. He died in the place of the sinner so that the sinner would not have to die in his sins. You see, as a man, as the incarnate son of God, he could die in the place of sinful man. And the reason that Jesus could endure the heat of God's anger, he could stand before him in his indignation, is because Jesus was and is God. And therefore, he is able to make payment for all of our sin. And the proof of this is that God raised him from the dead three days later. So sinful man has hope in Jesus. He is the one who endured God's wrath and judgment, the full recompense due God's enemies, so that God might be just in punishing sin and then might turn around and declare righteous those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus became God's enemy, the focus of God's righteous war, that the war might be ended, 
so that former enemies might be reconciled to God and now considered friends. Jesus was hated by God when he became a curse for us on the cross that we might no longer be hated by God, but be received by God through him in love. And Jesus experienced grief and loss on the cross that we might not experience loss but be reconciled to our Father and have Him delight in us through His Son. Jesus died so that God could make grace abound to you in His gift of eternal life. And I ask you today, if you have not received this gift of eternal life, I can't impress upon you enough and plead with you enough, don't wait another day. Today the Savior waits to give you what He so graciously won, free and eternal life. Will you have that today? Let us pray. Lord God, the truth of this text is daunting in some ways, but then it also helps us to understand what you did for us in our Savior. How He became the focus of your wrath. He became an enemy. He became hated. You felt grief for the sin that was placed on him, but all those things he did out of obedience to you so that we might have life. We're thankful for a victorious Savior who gives us life. Lord, if there are any here today that don't have that life, please, Lord, move upon their heart that they might understand their need for Jesus and turn and put their faith and trust in him. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing Be Unto Your Name. If there's a point where you need to come talk to me and make a decision, please come down front. Everybody, You might think, oh man, I don't want to come down front. That's really awkward. I assure you, everyone here is wanting you to come. They want you to come. So let's stand and sing Be Unto Your Name.
Amen. You may be seated. Just for a moment, um, it just occurred to me during this song, I'm just always so thankful how the Lord um, brings our service together. What an appropriate song. You know, having gone over there at the end of the service, what Christ did for us. How now that that Christ has died and absorbed the wrath, when I die, there's no no more wrath to, to be absorbed by me or you. That's why we sing, Holy, Holy, Lord God Almighty, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Um, a few prayer updates to pass along to you. Um, sorry. Um, if you're not aware, Bill Simmons, Jody Simmons' father, passed away this last week. Um, have they already had his funeral, or is it next week? Okay, so so tomorrow the service and graveside in in Lomita on Wednesday. So pray for the Simmons family. Um, pray for Doris Lafond. Doris is in the hospital on 71. She's got some sort of intestinal issue, so pray for her. I think she's going to be there through Monday. Um, also pray for Ed Braun's family. Ed passed away Friday evening. Um, so the service is going to be um, on July 31st at 11 a.m. here at the church. That's a Saturday. Uh, I want to pass along that my mother-in-law, Gail Lakin, received a great report this week from a scan that she had gotten. You know, she's battling uh, breast cancer, and so the scan came back. Things are moving in the right direction, so please continue to pray for her. Um, Pray for Charlie's family. Charlie uh, lost a sister-in-law this week. When is the funeral going to be, Charlie? Or it was last week, wasn't it? Yesterday. The funeral was yesterday. Okay. All right. So continue to pray for that family as well. Uh, pray for Melissa Munson. That's Doris uh, LaFon's daughter. She was in a car wreck on Monday and is recovering from that. She's, she's okay. She walked away, but she's just a um, little bit of pain there. Pray for, pray for Pam Garcia. She's struggling with some respiratory stuff. She's got pneumonia now, right, Sue? Yeah, so we need to pray that, that the Lord heals, heals Pam. Um, Todd Thomas is now receiving his uh, bone marrow transplant, so pray, pray for Todd. Uh, pray for the nation of Haiti. Um, I was sitting on a phone call with uh, Danny Davis, who I traveled to Haiti with in April, uh, and the pastor and the president of Together for Haiti, and things are just in a very bad condition over there. Um, if you want to know more, you can get on YouTube for sure. Um, any other prayer updates anyone has? Yes. Okay, Josie Huron is on a ventilator. Um, I guess we need to begin to pray that God would stay, the, that he would, we're here in COVID again, and, and I pray that God keeps it from us. Um, anything else? Well, would you stand? We're going to have a time of prayer, then we'll say the Great Commission, and we'll be dismissed. Oh, before, um, James, are you going to be here next week? I'm not going to be here next week either, so we're going to be going on vacation. Um, not, t- not together, not together. I don't think, I, I don't think you can handle that. Um, anyway, um, Joel's going to be leading worship. Our friend, uh, Ross Ellis, will be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, so please make him feel welcome, as you always do. Um, And I'll see you when I see you. So let's pray together.
Father, we are grateful once again for our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for all that He accomplished on our behalf, things that we could never do for ourselves. We're thankful, Lord, that uh, You did not leave us without hope, but seeing us in our sin, You felt compassion. I know we talked about You feeling grief and hatred and enmity and wrath, but You also felt compassion upon us. How grateful we are for that, Lord. We lift up those that have been mentioned this morning. Uh, We pray, Lord, especially for Josie Huron as she's on a ventilator. Pray for those that have lost loved ones, for those that are fighting cancer like Todd Thomas. Um, Just pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless our church and keep us healthy. We pray that COVID would, would stay away from us, that through your sovereign hand you would keep it from us. Thank you for this church, Father, and use us this week to tell people hard truths. Um, but then also not to leave them just with the hard truths, but to tell them the glorious truths. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. And on that note, let's say the Great Commission together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, 